0: Nine out of 10 startups fail. Women and minority-led companies receive less than 10% of all venture capital. This is an environment designed for failure. Startup Hype Man's mission is to use the power of story to make success inevitable, not the exception. And this podcast is designed for entrepreneurs to share lessons learned from their stories so that you can figure out what whatever it takes means for your company to make it. Let's kick it
1: we've been shooting like a commercial like yesterday today i have to do my next scenes like with my hair
0: from the hype hq recording studio in chicago illinois it's startup hype man the podcast i am your host and the startup hype man raj nation every week we bring you real talk and unpack the behind the curtain strategies with the entrepreneurs who are doing it or who have been there done that all to help your startup grow up and stand out Join the Hype Nation and catch every new episode, plus get resources and other stuff that actually help you, not the whack promotional junk that other companies try to shove down your throat. All you have to do is add your email at StartupHypeMan.com. Ready for some real talk? Time now for me, Raj Nation, to turn it over to, well, me, Raj Nation, for this week's conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Startup Hype Man podcast. Today on the show, we have... Chris Martinez. Chris is the co-founder of Dude, which provides unlimited web design and development for digital agencies. Now, Chris owned a digital agency for over six years. And then in 2013, get this, he moved his entire design and development team to Tijuana, Mexico, which turned out to be a total game changer for his agency because it was here that he quickly learned that Tijuana gives agencies all the benefits of outsourcing with none of the downsides that you might experience with traditional outsourcing. So in 2017, he officially launched Dude, which is really meant to be the perfect outsourcing solution for digital agencies as it relates to web design and web development. Chris Martinez, welcome to the show. What's up? I am excited to have you on. Now, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure you'll get a pretty good window into his personality pretty quickly, uh, Chris has become pretty well known in like the agency world for being the guy with the Lucha Libre, the luchador wrestling mask. Uh, And as I'm looking at like photos of him right now, he's wearing this mask in a lot of these photos, uh, fully embracing the idea of being a Mexico based company. Now we'll get into that a little bit more as we dive into your story. You also, Chris have the honor, I would say of being, if not the top one, the top one or two most jacked guests I've ever had.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Man, you set the bar really high. Now I can't go and eat tacos for lunch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just make sure they're like only steak, like just protein packed tacos.
1: Well, it's funny because I mentioned this to you earlier. We're shooting a commercial today. And so I have to basically be like naked for one of the scenes. (laughs) So I am not
0: (laughs) eating for the past 48 hours. (laughs) (laughs) You're like a wrestler trying to make weight. Exactly. (laughs) So our topic today is how do you hire the right people, which I know a lot of our listeners are definitely thinking about as they begin to grow their companies. And, you know, the first few hires are always like the most important for a company. So, Chris, Mm -hmm. why is this a topic that's on your mind and important to you?
1: Um, Okay, so the first thing that I'll say is that I have not always been a, uh, a great manager. It's something that I am consciously trying to improve on a daily basis is being a, a better leader and so when i started my agency and I, I say this you know i feel bad that i felt like this but when i started my agency i almost looked at my staff like it was a necessary evil and as i've started to progress and as i've gotten deeper into dude and now we have uh 30 30 employees i think it is um or i should say team members because i hate calling people employees um we have 30 staff and I've realized that the, the people that work with you, your team, they are the most important aspect of your company. And furthermore, the culture that you all create together is unbelievably important and will help carry you through some very, very difficult times. And so what we've, what I've learned and what we've learned as a company is that hiring the right people who embrace and fit into your culture and add to your culture it's so incredibly important, especially as you start to grow and scale. So I'm very, very passionate about hiring great people. Um, and I tell all my um, the, all the people who come in for the interview process, once they get to like our final stage of the interview process, I was like, you know, my belief, part of my job as a CEO uh, right now is to help find amazing people. And then once we have amazing people on our team, it's to give them the tools to just be amazing because I don't claim to have all the answers. And we're going to encounter problems and challenges that I'm not going to know the answers to. I might be able to give some feedback and some guidance, uh, but at the end of the day, our staff have to be able to create or have to be able to solve problems on the fly. And so that's why it's so important for us to have great people into our team and, and that we're hiring the best that we can possibly find.
0: And I I totally agree with you that people are such an important part. And I like that note you mentioned there about, you know, your job as a CEO is really about like just making the people succeed as a, you know, over anything else. So yeah. let's dial this back a little bit and take it all the way back, you know, down the memory bank, down the rabbit hole of Chris Martinez's life. You, as we mentioned in your introduction, you recently over the past few years moved to Tijuana, Mexico to run this company, but yeah. you obviously didn't start there. So can you tell me where did you grow up and what was your upbringing like? Oh man, that's a good question. We're going deep here.
1: So, um, I, I think that I had a fairly untraditional, uh, upbringing. So I was born in a, a suburb of LA called Torrance, California, if you know where that is, it's not too far from LAX airport. And so, um, I was, I was like a little hoodlum basically growing up. So this is like early 90s and I really gravitated towards like being a bad kid. And, you know, that actually goes back as I'm older now and I can reflect back on a, a lot of the, the reasons why I made some of these choices. Is I had a very, very physically abusive uh, and emotionally abusive childhood. I mean, it was like it was horrible to the point where, you know, like I admit it, like I'm, a, I, I, you know, I've gone to therapy to help solves or deal with a lot of these issues and basically like I had to fight to survive as a kid. And so, um, part of that I think is I started, as I became a teenager, I started to gravitate towards a really bad crowd and this was like the early nineties. And so, um, you know, like gangster rap was like super popular. So we all wanted to be like little gangbanger kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's like the crowd that I hung out with. And, um, so we, it was almost like a contest to see who could be the worst. So we would get into fights and, like, we would try and steal everything that we could get our hands on. And um, when I was, like, 14 years old, some of my best friends started to really get into involvement in the gang life. And um, fortunately, the only outlet that I really had that I think kept me from going down that really dark path is that I played soccer. And I played soccer very competitively. And so while my friends were, you know, had nothing and they had really, really bad home lives as well, and they were being bad seven days a week, you know, I was playing soccer four days a week, so I could only get into trouble three days a week. And so, um, as I got into high school, sports really took over my life and all my other, like, you know, friends who were doing bad things and got involved with gangs, they just kind of disappeared. And so I stayed with, um, I stayed in the sports route, you know, actually got through high school and went to college Um, and all my other friends, they just, like I said, they just disappeared. And, um, unfortunately one of my best, like literally my best friend from when I was in middle school, um, he got really involved in the gangs and he got shot and killed right after high school. So, yeah, I mean, so, and I say this because like, I don't think there's a lot of people like in the tech industry who kind of have this upbringing, but it's given me a lot of different perspectives, um, when it comes to appreciating things. And so, anyway, so after after high school, I went to college. Um, I went to UCSB up in Santa Barbara at Go Gaucho's, and um, that was like a completely life changing um, experience for me. I know there's a lot of people in the entrepreneurial world who are like hating on college, which the cost, yes, which I I not,
0: I'm not part of that crowd. I think college provides a lot of good for people. Well,
1: for me, for example, it just showed me a different way of thinking because where I grew up in Torrance, while it's not like a horrible community. Um, your idea as a high schooler, at least mine was, is that the world consists of the same things that your parents do and all the, uh, the things that your friends' parents do and that your friends do. And it's way more than that. And so when I went to college, I got to meet people who grew up a completely different way than I did. And it really opened up my eyes to um, different ways of viewing the world and then also um, new opportunities. And so that's kind of like where I, I discovered that, hey, there's a different way to live. Like, I don't have to do the same things that, you know, my parents did or my friends' parents did. I don't have to do the same things that my friends uh, did or are doing. And um, so then after that, I ended up getting a job in sales and away I went with kind of kind of with my professional career. And eventually I wound up here in, in TJ. And there's a lot of stuff that happened in between, but I don't know how much more stuff you want to
0: Well, <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm actually on the college front I'm yeah. curious you know you talked about you know more or less being like that gangbanger lifestyle in high school so how did college even become a viable option for you or even it's part of your consideration set that that's what you do as opposed to you know just whatever
1: yeah so you know, I'll, I'll, I'll preface that by saying like I was not a hardcore gangbanger like in middle school like we were like wannabe gangbangers and it like the 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 jump from where I was to where my best friends were who really got involved in that environment. Um, You know, it it was just spending more time with people that kids that age shouldn't be spending time with. And a lot of the reasons why kids gravitate towards the gang life is because they have horrible home lives and these gangs take them in and make them feel like they're part of a family. Right. So, um, you know, the other thing is that just because, these kids are in a bad environment, or they, may, they might grow up in a neighborhood that's not, you know, super wealthy, it doesn't mean that they're not intelligent. You know, so my friends back then, they, academically, they were just as capable as I was. I just grew up in a household where my parents valued education, and it was like drilled into my head ever since I was like, literally like, could talk, that I was gonna go to college. So I don't think that I was any more intelligent than anybody, uh, any of my friends who were getting into trouble. I just had some different opportunities. Um, and so as I moved into high school and I did have that outlet for, uh, of soccer, You know, just those, that one little thing is what kept me on the straight and narrow.
0: Hmm. What do you think your teachers in high school would have said about you at the time? Uh, I know what they said about me. (laughs) Uh, They said that I had a lot
1: of, uh, that I was very smart, that I had a lot of potential, uh, but that I did have some attitude problems. Mm. And occasionally I remember there was this one teacher. She was an older lady. um, I can't remember her name and I I can't even remember the class actually. But I remember that I got a really high score on a test. And by this time, you know, like I'm an, I, I was, I prided myself on being an athlete, but I was still kind of an asshole (laughs) so I had an attitude I had a big chip on my shoulder I I had an attitude and so we took this test and I got the highest score in the whole class and she kept asking me like oh what was your score and I was like oh this was my score and she's like really like are you sure you got that score I was like yeah I got the score you fucking piece of shit like (laughs) I, I earned that grade I'm smart just because I look like this or I might act a certain way doesn't mean that I don't have a brain. And so, you know, that you do occasionally run into those people who just discount you just because of the way that you look or the way that you act or the way that you talk or whatever. Um, But academically, like I was always very, very successful. Um, Where I struggled is that I had an attitude, Mm -hmm. admittedly. Okay. And I think in some ways, I think in some ways that's a good thing when you're an entrepreneur because a lot of the times you have to go against the grain, right? Everybody's going to tell you no. Everybody's going to tell you you're stupid. And you have to have that fight inside of you to just keep going.
0: As well as a you know a key point of differentiation, yes, absolutely, now it definitely stood out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it sounds like then uh, going to college at UC Santa Barbara was really like your turning point, um, where as you said like it opened you up to new perspectives, uh, there are different ways of life, new ways of thinking and that and the like. so how does entrepreneurship enter your life then like where did you did you have like some like lemonade stand when you were a kid and then it grew from there? Or did you not even like think about entrepreneurship until college or after college? Where does it, where does it come in? So I always knew
1: that I wanted to have a business. Although when I was a kid, I had absolutely no idea what that was. My dad had his own company. My dad was actually an engineer. So he had an engineering firm, um, a small one, you know, that he started when I was like 13 years old. So I would like go to his office and I would see that and he would go on business trips. And I have, I had absolutely no idea what he did. I did have another uncle who was very, very successful. Um, he basically invented a technology back in like the sixties that was purchased by SoCal Addison out here in California. Hmm. And it was a huge sale for him. So he had this ranch called it a ranch. It was like in the middle of nowhere. And so, you know, I just knew that he had a business and I, 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 I had an idea of entrepreneurship but it was just an idea it wasn't anything concrete or formulated in my brain so i knew that i wanted to have some sort of business and like my first kind of like uh venture into well when i was a kid you would have to do like uh, fundraising and stuff for your sports teams and whatever so i did that i was not very good at it i also had a paper route when i was in fourth grade which thinking back like i can't believe that they actually let us do that like i was like. <laughs> An eighty pound—I don't even know if it was eighty pound. Eighty pound kid riding my bike, no helmet, with a hundred with a hundred pounds of
0: newspapers on. Yeah, her, are, her the her newspapers bike. are heavier than you. Are. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I'm and I'm no, but to like go get the newspapers, we had to like ride our bikes to some strange woman's house and like newspapers <laughs> in her house, and I'm like thinking about this. I'm like, dude, this is like a child molester's dream. <laughs> like, like they would love for all these little kids to come to their house and like be in their garage for two hours every day. <laughs> so anyways, um, so yeah, I was a paper boy. I was horrible at that. Um, and so my first kind of like venture into entrepreneurship didn't even really occur until I, like, I was in college. Um, so I, I don't know if you can consider this entrepreneurship, but like we would throw parties. And so we would organize a bunch of stuff and like get a bunch of beer and everything and like organize the whole party. But that was like not for profit. So actually my like first thing that I did that was for money I was in college, and um, at the university that I went to, kids who had learning disabilities would be able to get notes from other students through the university. And the, stu- the other students who took the notes would get paid. And it was like $150 a class. So um, there was one quarter where I did like four classes or something like that. So I made like 600 bucks. It was like, Amazing, because I was broke in college. So six hundred dollars.
0: You'd make you made this money taking notes for other students who did. Yeah. It. So it was. Yeah. So it was great
1: because it forced me to go to class, so I would learn, and then um, I would just take my notes that I would write for myself, turn them into the university like education office. Or I can't remember what it was called, and then they would give my notes to another student to help them learn because that person had.
0: Some sort of learning, you know, maybe. Oh, so this was like a university supported thing. It's a
1: university program. Yeah. So I had no idea. And so I did that for one quarter. I was like, hey, this money's great. The next quarter, I go back to that office and was like, hey, I'm taking these classes. Are there any kids who need these notes? They're like, no. And I'm like, shit. I'm like, I was kind of relying on that money. So then I was like, you know what? I can sit in. I was a sociology major in college. I was like, I can sit in on Soch 1. Uh, and I can take notes, and then I'll basically sell them to the rest of the students. And this is before online note-taking was even a thing. Um, and so I basically sat in on Soc1, I took notes, and then before the midterm, I went to my friend who worked at a print shop, and she hooked me up, basically stole free printing from the printing company, but printed up all these little flyers. And this class was huge. There was 1,000 kids in this class. So right. So like a week before the midterm, I walked through before the class and I put a little pen like this flyer on every single chair in the class, a thousand seats. And uh, it said, hey, notes for the midterm. And I sold them. So I ended up making like fifteen hundred dollars off of that. And it was like awesome Uh, because it's like money that I made for myself was just so much sweeter than money that I had made, you know, working, delivering pizzas or all the any of the other crazy jobs that I had in college. And that's really when I got hooked and I realized, hey, like this is something that I want to do long term. So yeah. that was, I guess, my first like entrepreneurial
0: venture. So you have a couple of like professional ventures from there, which ultimately leads you to dude agency, which, as we've identified in your introduction, is an outsourced web design and development agency for agencies. So basically, like you're you're the back end like service provider for a lot of these agencies who I would guess basically they, they, there's certain work they need to offload, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's basically what we do. So like I started the age, let me, let me <clears throat> take it really quick. I want to go back sure. to 2007. So 2006, my, I felt like my life was going great. Like I had the sales job that I, I was a manager and then I ended up leaving just because uh, I wanted to do something else. And then December 2006, I think it was like December 9th or December 10th, uh, I get a call from my dad. He's like, hey, I need you to come to the house. And it was very awkward. Like it was one of those moments where the tone of his voice told me that there was bad news coming. And um, so I drive up to the house and um, he had been sick for you know for a couple months, just battling like random illnesses. And he sits me and my brother down, he's like, uh, I have cancer. And um, they say it's liver cancer. And so, like, in that instant, like, my whole life just changes. And so then, immediately, me and my brother go home, and the first thing we do is we Google, like, what are the survival rates for liver cancer? It's like 10%. So we're like, what are we going to do? So, you know, my dad and my stepmom, they're, like, dealing – they want to deal with this privately, so they're going to doctors or whatever. And he's deteriorating, like, super fast. And um, basically, um, it was, like, December – oh, my God, it was almost exactly today, like – 11 years ago, no, 12 years ago. Um, he goes in for an endoscopy. And uh, basically, that's where they stick the tube down your throat. And they discover that it's actually pancreatic cancer, which is the worst cancer wow. that you can have. Yeah. So <clears throat> January 10, 2007, uh, three days before my 27th birthday at 1220 in the morning, he died in front of my face. You know, I basically set up the hospital bed that he was going to die. in. They, they had a hospice come to, our, to his condo. And I set up the hospice bed, uh, and that was the bed that he was going to take his last breath in. So I was I was there with him during that time, and then that just completely destroyed my entire world. And in, and that's like five months after that, I decided, hey, I want to start a soccer magazine. That was my first real business. And so I started that business. Um, I made a million mistakes and basically lost everything within 18 months, like to the point where I couldn't take a $20 bill out of the ATM. And then emotionally, <clears throat> I was dealing with a lot of stuff, you know, like just the grief, um, and I didn't know how to deal with it because I think as guys, like a lot of times, we're conditioned to just deal with pain and not talk about it and shove it down, right. and that does not that does not work. Right. So that came bubbling back up to the surface and impacted all my relationships with people. Um, I was super super angry, like I wanted to fight everybody, and um, I realized that you know, like. And, and, and there were thoughts of like suicide that crept into my mind too, because like I, I just couldn't deal with it. And, um, and not, not to mention that I had this failed business and then I, I was completely out of money. And so I basically had to restart my life. And luckily I found a the therapist and she basically, I credit her with saving my life. Like I would not be here if it wasn't for her. So then I was able to really get my head back on straight and I, you know, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I was able to start to, you know, put my life back together after two years of basically suffering through this. And eventually I discovered, you know, while being broke, I, I learned uh, web design. I basically taught myself how to build a website in a weekend by watching online videos. So I went and I got a theme and like, and I had no idea about any of this stuff. And in one weekend, I was able to teach myself these things. And then, you know, fast forward about a year or two later, I started uh, my agency in 2012. And our entire staff was in the Philippines. And I grew that to, we had about like 50, 60 clients on, Act, uh, on retainer. And then basically, um, I realized, hey, I got to find a better solution. I got to find something that's in our time zone that we can afford. And by this time, I'm living in San Diego, came across the border to Tijuana, Mexico, not knowing anything not knowing how to hire a single person. And basically we figured it out and I grew that agency. We had over 200 active clients on retainer and I was managing everything with a team of just five people here in TJ. And um, then in 2017, I basically realized, Hey, you know, like I kind of want, I want to do something else because entrepreneurs and our ADD. And I was like, I want to do something else. I've been trying to get my agency friends to do something down here in TJ I listened to a podcast of Russ Perry, who started Design Pickle. And I was like, oh my God. And if you don't know what Design Pickle is, it's unlimited graphic design um, for a, like a monthly, subscription, fee, monthly right? subscription. Yeah, monthly subscription to, um, uh, to Unlimited Graphic Design. And I'm so I listened to this, this podcast of Russ, and I'm like, oh my God, I can totally do this with web development. And we're going to use our team here in Mexico. And so I roll it out. We start running ads. We start getting clients, and I'm like, "Okay, we might have something." And uh, we're you know we're improving the program. And then this past February, February 2017, we take a leap and we invest a bunch of money and we go to the Traffic and Conversion Conference here in San Diego. And I had gone as a guest a bunch of times. This was our first time ever doing a conference. So we buy the booth space. We go get the display. You know, we try and figure out the concept that we're going to do. And I'm like, okay, we're going to go all in on Mexico. You know, like, because actually, like, up to that point, I was like, you know, kind of hesitant about Mexico. People are going to think, let's be honest, people don't have positive associations with Mexico.
0: Right. Specifically Tijuana.
1: Especially, yeah, especially Tijuana. Um, And if you've been watching the news recently, there's a lot of crap that's been going around about that. So anyways, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, let's go in all in on Tijuana. I've already been wearing the mask. You know, like, let's just do all TJ. We have like, we're giving away, um, like shot glasses. Um, I'm wearing them. I'm wearing the full Lucha Libre costume in front of 6,000 freaking people. Um, you know, we're giving away.
0: People are not going to forget that, right?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, some were scared, (laughs) but they were, they definitely remembered. Um, I brought like 40 pounds of Mexican candy. We're li- literally like throwing candy at people. And um, dude, that was, that was the spark that just let this, that, that just set everything off. So from that point, we, we, we got a bunch of cl- new clients. Um, we had five employees in February when we went to the conference. And now we have 24 here in Mexico. Um, and we're, we're looking to hire another one. I don't know if we'll be able to get one by the end of the year. Um, but our 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 plan is by next year, we'll have around 90 people. So we're already looking at new office space to house everybody. So that's, I mean, that's how quickly it's it's it turned around for us.
0: Yeah. So essentially tripling your growth, your employee headcount over the next yeah. year, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so,
1: more than that this
0: year. So, so that's a huge undertaking, right? And, and even hiring these first 24 is also a big deal. I mean, congrats on everything so far with that. So let's kind of, let's dive in now to this topic of hiring the right people. Now, here's how I want to uh, position this to you. Sure. I would say the traditional or a traditional hiring process is one that looks something like this. Submit resume. Mm -hmm. Resume gets reviewed. Mm -hmm. Person gets called in for an interview with one person. They say, we'll call you back if we like you. The person gets called back, and then they do an interview with like one more person. Okay. And then that's kind of it. Maybe some people talk about it, and you decide from there what, uh, you decide from there, should we hire this person? Tell me what's wrong with that hiring process.
1: Uh, a lot of things. Um, well, first of all, like, you know, y- y- you have to incorporate your company culture into the hiring process so that you make sure that you're finding people who are aligned with your beliefs and your vision. And so, uh, that starts from the moment that that person submits the CV, right? And, act- and actually, actually, you no, know it starts from before that. It starts from the, the, the job post. So in your job post, you need to be describing your your company and your goals and your mission and um so when you get that cv you want to make sure that that person who's submitting it to you uh, we use cv down here i know you said resume so, so when you get that when you get that resume when you get that resume you want to make sure that the candidate took the time to invest and make some tweets and changes and you know at least wrote in the response the things that they really like about your company
0: Because if they don't,
1: the the best behavior that somebody is ever going to have is when they're going through the interview process. And if they don't have the wherewithal to take 10 minutes to do a little bit of research about your company and write something personalized to you, what do you think is going to happen when it's seven o'clock at night on a Friday? And a client's asking for something, you know, out of the ordinary that's going to help them, you know, get a new client, get help them get a new client or help them complete a project. Do you think that the person who didn't take the time to fill out the resume properly or do a proper response is going to, like, basically put their own needs on the back burner and serve your client or or help the team? You know, probably not so you want to look at that process and just see how the the response see how you write your job post see how that person responds and then um the responses every response that they give you like every interaction with the person um you don't want to just look at their answers right you want to look at the the feeling that you're getting and this is actually very counterintuitive for my personality is like You know, you also want to trust your gut about how these people are talking to you. Like, what does your gut tell you about this person? What does your gut tell you about how this person is going to fit into your culture? So it's a mix of concrete metrics, but also using your gut. And then if you have other people on your staff, incorporating everybody into the hiring process. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you about or to talk about my actual hiring process. But one of the steps that we have is, you know, all the management staff um, basically will interview a candidate, even though that person's probably not going to be on their team. Mm -hmm. And we all have to come to an agreement on two questions. The first question is, is this somebody that you would want, want working on your team? Right. And the second question is, is this somebody one day that you would uh, be comfortable working on their team like if they were your manager and every single person has to answer in the affirmative if there's any person who does not answer yes to both of those questions then we have to disregard that candidate it's just a rule that we have because i don't know that i don't i won't be able to interview the the, the person let me let me rephrase it i we will only see one aspect of that person when I interview them. We have multiple people do the interviews because they're going to be able to ask different questions. They're going to see different things in that person's personality. They're going to put them under different pressure, right? And, and so when we collectively look at that person, uh, then we can make a really, really good judgment as to whether this is going to be a good fit for us culturally. And honestly, when they come into the office, we already know that technically they've got skills. What it really comes down to is hiring people like great, amazing human beings. That's what it really comes down to, especially I would say, especially when you're in startup mode because you need people who are gonna be there in the trenches with you and that are gonna grind and will literally throw themselves in front of a bullet for the company and for your team and for their teammates.
0: Now, can you actually walk us through the step-by-step process that you guys use to hire someone? Absolutely. <laughs> very, very proud of this. And I will
1: say that I got a lot of this um, by looking at other companies, specifically what Zappos does. So if you're ever in Las Vegas during the week, I, pr- I swear you have to go and do the Zappos experience tour. It's like $10 and they'll actually walk you through their culture and they'll talk to you about their hiring processes. Hmm. So, <clears throat> and if you haven't read Tony Shay's book, uh, Delivering Happiness, you absolutely have to do that as well. So anyway, so our hiring process, right, we have our job post up, we get a resume, or CV is what we call it, um, <laughs> we, get a, we get a CV, we will look at the CV, okay, do they have these skills on their CV? Do they have experience? Um, if we like that, if we like what we see, then we'll send them a, uh, an email with um, certain tasks. And in there, we, we um, for example, like if it's a web developer, they have to give us three websites, websites that they built recently and that they're proud of. Um, if they send back two, then we don't hire that person. Then there's other personality questions. What do you like to do for fun? Like, you know, if the person says, you know, I am a Jehovah's Witness and I spend my time doing that. Like, while that's great, um, you know, we have a different kind of culture. So maybe their beliefs might not, may, might not make them feel comfortable in our office environment. Um, so, like, you know, we, we're just looking at different things, different responses in uh, that email that they give back to us. Then um, the next thing is if we like their responses, then we'll schedule a quick 15-minute interview, with a uh, phone interview with them. And that is just literally just talking to them and making sure that, you know, getting that, that feeling part of it, seeing how they respond, making sure that they're a normal person, they can have conversations, they're not a weirdo. The other day we actually um, – my assistant um, has been doing the phone interviews. And so she calls this guy and he's like unbelievably rude to her on the phone. And we're like, okay, yeah, obviously you're not going to work here. And in Mexico, you know, there is this idea of like machismo and whatever. And sometimes uh, men have a certain mentality that they can treat women a certain way. Mm. We did not allow that at all. So that guy, obviously, we did not bring on for the, to the next step. So if they pass the phone interview, then we'll have them do an online exam. So we test their, If it's a developer, we test their HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP. Um, We test that. If they they pass that with the minimum score that we have, um, then we'll bring them in for the in-person interview. In that in-person interview, the interview with at least four people, typically it's like the management team um, and myself. And then we ask those two questions. Is there anything that... um, is there anything uh sorry would you could you see this person working on your team and then uh could you see yourself being on that person's team and of course if there's any other red flags and we talk about that and all of us have to agree that this is somebody who would be a great fit for our company if they pass that then we give them a practical so like build out a website they have a, a deadline on that if they miss that deadline by one second we don't hire that person because here one of our core values is like we are obsessed with hitting deadlines. So if they miss a deadline, obviously, then we can't hire that person. So let me um, stop but, you
0: right there, because I just sure. want to emphasize that point you made. You said if they miss the deadline by one second, they're disregarded, you're not going to hire them. Yep. Now, for everyone listening, the, the key point I want you to take away there is what he said after that, because one of our core values is timeliness, hitting deadlines. Mm -hmm. as you think about building out your own hiring process, it's not that you have to have a step where you're like, well, wait, they missed something by one second. We can't hire them. It's that you're building a process that's built around your core values, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And those core values should come from your team. And if you're starting out and you don't have a team, then obviously you can create that yourself. But we just redid our core values. And um, I said, hey, guys, like these are what they are. I created this. But, you know, like. This is just me. I want it to come from you guys. And so we literally had like a workshop and we all came up. We redid our core values together. Everybody voted. And um, what they created was way better than anything that I would have created. And so now those are up in the office. And so we know like this is who we are. This This is what we believe in. These are our values. And we base our decisions on that. And so we want to make sure that everybody that we bring into the company is aligned with those core values.
0: Yeah. So you have the website test or the, the deadline they have to hit, what comes yeah, next? They have
1: to hit the deadline. Obviously, if the quality of the, what they did is not good, then we don't hire that person. But then um, if they pass all those tests, then we make them an offer. Hmm. And uh, you know, they have jumped through a lot of hoops to get here. And um, by that time, you know, we are like 100% confident that this is gonna be a great person. And, you know, we have a very different kind of working environment here. It's very relaxed. Like, you know, like a lot of companies in Mexico, they make you punch a clock. You know, that you, you have to take your lunch at this time and you have to be back exactly at this time. And like the manager has all the answers. You're not encouraged to give feedback. And that's completely the opposite of what the way that our company operates, you know, and my management style. It's like, like I said before, it's like, I'm, I'm just here to find great people and help empower you guys to be great. I don't have all the answers. And so, um, you know, we don't track hours like that. You know, they can kind of come and go as they please. What matters, obviously, because this is in alignment with our core values, is that we're serving our clients. You know, that they are getting everything that they need. So some days you might have to, you know, you might come in at eight and leave at five. Some days you might come in at eight and leave at seven or eight or whatever. At the end of the day, the client has to be taken care of and they have to, you know, those are the ones, the clients are the ones who are really paying everybody's salaries. Mm -hmm. And everybody here understands that. So sometimes you have to make sacrifices, um, you know, and then like, you know, we have, we give double the amount of vacation time here. So, you know, and I encourage everybody like go out and travel, like, please go travel, see your families, go explore the world. That's another one of our core values. And so when somebody goes on vacation, uh, we actually had two, um, two of our, our, our staff get married. And so they got married, obviously, and then they went on honeymoon and we were overjoyed that they were able to do that now it did leave a hole in one of the each of their teams but the staff was more than happy and bent over backwards to try and cover for that person because we care about them and we want them to go and be able to enjoy their time off right
0: right yeah so, it's, it's part of that the culture that you build there exactly yeah so in looking at this hiring process which i think it's 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 great to have like that rigorous screening more or less, but also one that again, plays to the strengths you're looking for at the company. Yep. That said, do you feel, or how do you feel that your process is able to effectively, um, essentially address or bring in like diverse candidates?
1: That's a great question. Um, so diversity is amazing. Um, (laughs) I don't know if we're talking about ethnic diversity for one thing, but ethnic diversity here in Mexico is a little bit different. But diversity of thought, um, diversity of experiences, um, I think is super important because it's going to give different viewpoints and it's going to give different aspects for how to overcome challenges and sort of that sort of thing. So if you look at the makeup of our company, you know, like from where they came from, you know, some people went to a great school. Some people came from a great neighborhood. Other people come from a great neighborhood some people are the first one of their family to go to college and so we do look at that and um, you know when you look at in when you look at what's inside the person that's what really matters and that's where the our interview process and like asking personal questions um getting to know the person on an on a a one-to-one basis not just how do you program how do you design you know like that's what we're really looking for. And we really do encourage diversity. Um, and so like, if you meet our people, like they're, they all come from different backgrounds, but it's amazing when you find the things inside of them, um, that are, that are, that are similar, like everybody gets along really, really well. So yeah, we do look for that diversity in terms of like the backgrounds, but like in terms of like values and stuff, um, that's something that we really don't compromise on.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, and you mentioned for being in Mexico, it's a little bit different to get ethnic diversity just because of the makeup of the people there. But yeah. um, for a company that's in America, mm-hmm. what would you recommend um, they can or should be doing then to encourage bringing in you know, multiple candidates? And the, and the reason I'm asking this is because, uh, well, not only because it's important, but when you talk about your your hiring process and it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, like we want people who fit in with it, with our personality, but then does that create like a, Oh, if we like are a culture that like drinks after work, but this person actually does not drink, does that disqualify them? Right. You know what I'm saying?
1: Um. Okay. I, if we want to use alcohol, for example, I mean, like hopefully the people in your company can have fun without alcohol and hopefully somebody who doesn't drink, doesn't feel like uh, uncomfortable around other people who are drinking um, but you know, the biggest advice that I would have for companies in the States, and this also goes back to like my kind of like gang related upbringing, uh, is look for talent in unexpected places because yeah. oftentimes everybody is looking for the winners and the diamonds in the same mind. There are so there's so much more talent. There's like an unlimited num- amount of talent that's out there. You just have to think differently and go out and find them in different places. You know, like, why would you enter a very saturated market with your business? You always want, you know, if you've ever read that book, Blue Ocean Strategy, like, you want to find that blue ocean. Find the blue ocean of people. And I feel like a lot of the times, um, owners, CEOs, or hiring managers, they're always looking at the same colleges. They're always looking at the same backgrounds. They're always looking. That stuff doesn't matter. You want to find amazing people. You know, who, who even cares if they didn't go to college, if they know how to do the job amazingly well, and they're going to serve your clients and they're going to bend over backwards for your, your, your clients in your company, then that's really what matters. Mm. And you'll, you'll naturally by that. If you just start digging in a different area, you'll naturally find diversity.
0: I like that a lot. Look for talent in the unexpected places. And that analogy of why would you enter a saturated market as a business? Why, why enter that for, for people? Yeah. Yeah. I've never thought of it in that, uh, framework before. So I like that a lot. Uh, A couple more quick questions I have for you here before we wrap up. Sure. Uh, One of them is, I think, especially in the early days, when say it's founding team and now like the first two people are going to get hired on beyond that, Mm -hmm. the easy thing to do is just be like, Oh, well I've known this person for so many years. Like we're just going to hire them. Yeah. It's easy to just go to the person you already know. Um, do you vibe with that approach or do you have a different approach and just what, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, personally, I don't think that you should work with friends and family. Um, I've just seen it fall apart like so many times, but you know, you got to deal with it on a case by case basis. For example, design pickle, um, Russ and one of their lead, um, well, he's a partner too. I don't even know what you would call him. Maybe like operations, but Jim Pettacone, um, Russ and Jim have been friends since they were kids. And that relationship is, you know, obviously they, they work great together and they scaled that company design pickles doing over, I think 10 million this year, in just four wow. years. Yeah. Huge. And, and so, you know, like you have to, I think you have to measure that the, your friend or family member as if it was a stranger, right? You know, like evaluate them as a candidate that you are just meeting for the first time. And basically hold yourselves accountable uh, to the same standards that you would hold everybody else to. Because I think that sometimes when it's a friend or a family member, you kind of give them some leeway because you're like, oh, well, you know, that's just Pete. You know, that's just how he is. But at the same time, it's like you've got a mission. You know, you're trying to land a man on the moon like you've got stuff to accomplish and you've got to make sure that everybody can can hold their weight and is able to accomplish their tasks. So I, I I really don't have an opinion on it. My personal feeling is don't include friends and family, but I have seen it work. So you just got to figure out what's uh, what works for you guys. Uh, but definitely hold everybody to the same standards.
0: Yeah, and in fact, uh, last year we had a guest on the show, uh, Patrick Tannis, who's the co-founder of a company based out of Chicago called Tiesta Tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a loose leaf tea company, and it was it's founded by four best friends from like mm-hmm. elementary school, and then like they're like one of their dads is the CFO and they love it and they and they, they, they do it great, but I know it's definitely not for everyone.
1: Yeah. I've seen it fall apart. I mean, the reason why
0: most part why most
1: partnerships fall apart is not because they don't have a great business. It's because the partners can't get along. Right. So, you know, you have to enter it like it's a marriage, you know, and it's like it's somebody that you're willing to be stuck with for the next 50 years. Because honestly, like I, I feel like a lot of people go into their businesses with the short-term mindset of I'm just going to start it and I'm going to have this big exit and I'm going to move on to the next thing. It's like I think that's kind of backwards, you know. Like I think you need to say like, this is this something that I love so much that I'd be willing to do this for the rest of my life? Yeah. You know, like if you look at somebody like Steve Jobs, I mean, that's what he did. He yeah. ended up dying. He died
0: with Apple. That was his right. That was his exit. That was his exit.
1: Yeah, you know, <laughs>
0: dark, dark humor there. Uh, <laughs> Last question here before we close out is you talked about when you're in that one-on-one interview with a candidate, like, mm-hmm. like there's four people they're going to talk to, right? And obviously you're one of them. Yep. Uh, you said you all have to say yes. What is it that for you, like what is it that makes you say yes to a person? Is there a specific um, like, moment in the interview where you're like, okay, now like, this person has my thumbs up?
1: Yeah, I I, I learned this from a guy, well, this concept kind of like from this guy named Ivan Meisner, who's, um, he started this organization called BNI. I'm sure there's some people who know what that is. It's like a referral network and um, they've got members all across the world. And he basically wrote a book on this concept that, you know, if you were in a room and there was one door in, one door out, and once somebody entered that room, they could never leave. Who would you want it to let in that room? And so when I'm looking at a candidate and I'm talking to them, that's ultimately what's going through my, my, my mind. And like, if I'm in this office and this person can never leave, am I cool with that? Hmm. Am, I, am I cool, like, having this person on my team? You know, and if I can answer, yeah, I'm like, dude, I would totally work with this guy, you know. I would totally have this person stuck in a room with me forever. I would
0: totally trap this person in a window with no exit. (laughs) Exactly, that's not creepy
1: at all. Um, Yeah, but if I if I answer yes to that question, like in my mind, then yeah, I know this is a great person. And and going back to what I said earlier, this goes against my personality about the feeling, right? You know, like. My personality type. I'm a big believer in the Myers Briggs test, actually. Yeah. And so my personality, it, it, dude, I'm all about like facts and data, and, like that sort of stuff, and concrete, you know, answers. But you, I, I know that as humans, we have evolved because of this feeling, like this, we call it a gut feeling. Yeah. Like literally, you what your, your uh, genetics would not have been passed on. Had your ancestors not listened to your gut about a lot of different things? Hey, don't go to that that stream because it feels like there's a saber-tooth tiger that's going to go there and rip my head go off. Right. You know. So there's all these things. So you have evolved with this instinct inside of you, and so when I'm in the interview process, I do have to listen to that a lot more than naturally than I would want to. Yeah. And so that's ultimately like the big, big thing. Like obviously, like it's easy for me to evaluate talent on a on a like. Like resume a, level yeah, on, right, paper, or on paper, paper on paper. Exactly. Yeah. But I have to listen to my gut and, and see if that person is somebody that I would want in my room. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and this is something a uh, slight tangent here, but every now and then I, I do some career coaching with this company called the muse. You may have heard of them. It's like a big career website. Okay. Uh, and when I, if, if uh, someone books time and they want to do like uh interview practice or even just like job search strategy, things like that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What I'll tell them is like, you're, if, if you're in the room for Mm -hmm. the interview, Mm -hmm. you're already qualified enough to be like, they wouldn't have had you in the room if you're not qualified to be there. Exactly. So it's no, it's not about the things that are the bullet points that are on the paper at that point. It is about, Do you vibe with? Does your personality vibe with the company's personality? And then, can you prove what you've said on paper? And can they do they feel like they can trust you? Yep, absolutely. And I
1: tell candidates too to add to that: it's like you know you are interviewing that company the same way that they are interviewing you. You shouldn't walk in there with the sense that oh my god, I have to I have to completely change who I am and and be a chameleon and adapt to this company because I want the job so bad. Like I feel like you should be yourself. Yeah naturally a good fit for everybody
0: and I would say too you can tell me if you agree or not but it should almost be a red flag on the candidate side yep the company does not like if, if you're not asking that company good questions yeah like it should be a red flag if they still like just want want to have you right yeah
1: totally absolutely
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Before we wrap up, can you let our listeners know uh, where they can learn more about Dude Agency, uh, learn more about you, and find you online?
1: Yeah, so um, go to our website, www.dudeagency.io, and then uh, you can go to the Instagrams, that's dudeagency.io, and then if you go to Facebook, Facebook's Dude Agency.
0: (laughs) So it's pretty easy to
1: find us. Um, that's the best way to connect with me too. If you just send us a message, I'll be able to uh,
0: respond. Awesome. To wrap up, we will close out by giving our uh, final answers here to the question. Our topic question today was how do you hire the right people? I'll go first on this one then I'll toss it to you, Chris. Sure. So how do you hire the right people? The, the two things that stood out for me from everything you explained was the, I really like that question of you ask yourself as the person who's hiring, is this candidate someone who one day I would want to work on their team? I like that question a lot. And then the other thing you mentioned was looking for talent in the unexpected places, Um, meaning don't enter like a saturated market of people just because it's been said people, good people come from there, look in other places as well. Mm-hmm. And to me, what this comes down to, as well as the other things you talked about in your just overall hiring process, is ultimately, you may have heard this saying before, but if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. Yeah. 100%. And any one of you bring on should be like across the board, fuck yes, we want this person. If there's any, and that's, that's, that means your gut says yes. Yeah, absolutely. Any hesitation, your gut's saying no. Chris, how do you hire the right people? Uh, So I would say, you know, you have to look at your your company
1: culture. You have to look at your core values. You have to look at where you're going as a company, where you're at now and where you're going as a company, and then incorporate all those into your hiring process. And, um, you know, you want to have multiple steps. And like I said before, like the interview process starts from the job post. You know, so that job post has to be written in a way that it reflects – where you're going and the type of person that you want to attract. And, um, you know, if anybody does not pass all of your tests, then, you, you know, and your gut's telling you not, no, no, you, you gotta let them go. But if, when you find somebody who fits every box, uh, you have to bring them on. You have to bring them on. The people that in your organization are 100% the most valuable asset in your company. I would say it's even more valuable than, than your product. Because your product most likely is going to change at some point in time. You're going to you're going to make a pivot, especially if you're a startup. You're going to make a pivot, but having the right team, they're going to help you get to whatever end goal that you have because they believe in you and they believe in the mission and they believe in uh, in serving the clients. And if you can find those people, they'll they'll help you get anywhere in the world.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, listening to this show, if you happen to see a very muscular guy walking around in a lucha libre wrestling costume chances are it's chris martinez especially if he especially if it is at a conference (laughs) chris martinez founder ceo of dude thank you so much for joining us on the show today
1: Uh, thank you so much this has been a blast
0: That brings us to a close. Did you like what you heard? Did it tingle your earbuds? Support your startup ecosystem and share this episode with another founder to help them. If you don't have anyone in mind, then leave a rating and review of the show on iTunes so more entrepreneurs can learn about it. And if you want more, head to StartupHypeMan.com and click on the knowledge section to get a bonus blog post written by this week's guest where they unpack the topic even more. Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or wherever else you listen to podcasts Startup Hype Man is more than a podcast in fact we support startups across the United States and globally develop sales and marketing acumen with messaging that stands out to customers and stands apart from competitors learn more and fill out a form at StartupHypeMan.com if you want to chat shout out to this week's guests for spending their time with us and shout out to music artist Sir the Baptist for providing our show's theme song catch you next time Hype Man out word up raise up Got you howlin' at the moon, yeah. This, this a dance, dance with the devil, girl. Stay the sun down too, yeah. yeah. This, this a dance, dance with the devil girl. girl. Tell me what you gonna do. Yeah. This, this a dance girl. with the, the devil, girl. girl. And if you can't get it loose, then follow to the truth. It got you howlin' at the moon.
1: Yeah, yeah. This, this a dance, dance with the devil, girl. girl. Stay the sun
0: down, yeah. yeah. This a dance, dance with the devil, devil girl. girl Tell me what you gonna do yeah. this, this a dance, dance with the devil girl. devil, girl And if you can't get a loss, Then it's, it's a dance with the devil,